I want to talk to you today, tonight, about your last end and mortal sin. And then tomorrow we'll get into judgment. Uh, play and to end to death today. Uh, the end, mortal sin and death. And then tomorrow we'll get into uh, judgment of mankind. Um, our souls were given to us by God. And we learned from the catechism when we were really young that we were made in his own image without any merit on our part. He adopted us as his children by baptism and he loves us more than any affectionate parent could love a child. He made us all that we are that we may do three things, know, love, and serve him. That was in the Catechism too, in this life. And that we might possess him forever in eternity, in heaven. Okay, we did not come into this world uh, for the sake of enjoyment. We didn't come into this world for the sake of amassing riches and power. Believe it or not, we didn't come into this world to eat or drink or sleep like irrational animals. We came into this world solely to love God and to work out our salvation. Unfortunate is the soul that thinks very little of eternity and thinks very little of spiritual things. This is a plague which plagues the world and even traditional Catholics at times. As ask God to give you in this retreat, dear men, the grace to begin a new life of perfect holiness and conformity to his holy will. Conformity to the will of God, <clears throat> I think, is the single most grace or virtue and grace given to St. Gertrude. That some claim that she is the second holiest woman in heaven. It was our Lord himself who said to an associate nun, of, a colleague nun of St. Gertrude, I joy in dwelling in the soul of Gertrude. And he explained to that nun, because her, even from her childhood, she exercised perfect conformity to the will of God. We will consider with deep remorse and bitter regret at the hour of death, if during this life, we have not dedicated our service to God. I'm not asking you to put a collar around your neck. I'm asking you to dedicate your life to God, to his service. We all have that obligation, lay person and religious alike. How great will be our disappointment when, at the close of our days, we perceive that nothing remains at that sorrowful moment of the goods that you have accrued. Nothing remains of the pleasures which you have had. Nothing will remain of your earthly glory. It will, these will be like a shadow that flees before us. And a bitter remembrance will pursue after them rather than after God. What will be our sadness, our consternation, when we will discover that for the sake of some miserable vanity, we've lost our God, we've lost our soul, we've lost our salvation. 
without the possibility of being able to repair our misfortune. At the hour of death, we will then see the value of time that we are losing now. But at the hour of death, it will be too late. Then we will gladly purchase any time to pray and to be sorry for our sins. We will purchase it with everything we have. We would purchase it with everything we have, but we will not be able to do so. How full of bitterness and sorrow will that day be for every soul that has not loved God, that has not served God in this life. Many in the world disregard their last end. Our ordinary thoughts are upon the accumulations of wealth, the gratification of our senses, parties of pleasure, amusements, and festivities. We think so little of God. We think so little of His service or our service to Him. We do so little for the salvation of our souls. We regard the affairs of salvation as trifles, not worthy of our attention. The greater part of Christianity suffers this deplorable misfortune by indulging in foolish pleasures and criminal gratifications, meriting for themselves punishments in hell. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with festivities. There's nothing wrong with happiness. There's nothing wrong with that in its place. St. Therese was once uh, chastised for eating too much. And her response was, when I fast, I fast. When I feast, I feast. Okay, there's a time and place for festivity and for all these enjoyable things. Many take much pain to condemn themselves to hell, and they do nothing for their salvation. Many will share the same sentiments as the Secretary of State for the King of England. He said, how great is my misfortune. I have used many sheets of paper for my sovereign, and I have not used one to help me in the recollection of my sins, that I might make a good confession. Listen to the deathbed sentiments of the King of Spain. Oh, that I had spent my life in a desert, occupied in serving God, and never have been a king. These sighs and these lamentations only serve to augment the horrors of despair. I have in my notes, dear friends, which you are, dear men, dear friends, learn at the expense of others to devote yourselves to the salvation of your souls. Remember well that all your actions, your words, your thoughts, which are not directed to God, are entirely lost. Now is the time to amend our thoughts, words, and actions in preparation for the last hour and for eternity. The last minute determines where your soul is going to be. How seldom does the soul adequately prepare for eternity when it has disregarded its welfare all life long? It's not going to happen. You're not going to get that. We, I put myself in the same place. We're not going to get that grace. 
our last end is of extreme importance. St. Paul says it, that uh, be about your business, your only business, the business of your soul. Because if you attain salvation, you will be eternally happy in the enjoyment of every good, whether of body or of soul. But in losing one's soul, we lose heaven, we lose God, and we will be eternally miserable and eternally damned. One of the greatest errors in judgment of men is to enjoy the pleasing of the passions now and serving God tomorrow. How many has this false and deceitful hope led into hell? Thousands of sinners have flattered themselves with the hope of future repentance, but the day in which they hope never arrives. And now they're suffering without resource, the torments of hell. None of these presumptuous sinners have ever arrived at the place of repentant sorrow. God curses those who sin with the presumption of forgiveness. Many say within themselves, I will commit this sin and then repent. But are they certain that time will be allowed them to repent? It takes a grace to repent. By sinning, we lose the grace of God. And what if we never more recover that grace? God shows mercy to those who fear him, but not to those who despise him or contemn him. God has patience with the sinner for a time, but God is not forever patient. When the measure of iniquity is filled up, his mercies cease, and he punishes the impenitent sinner by either death or by, by what is it maybe even worse, by abandoning him to his sins. In which state he goes from one sin to another without remorse, and at length is precipitated in hell, into hell. Now is the time that we should put an end to our disorders, dear men, and return to God. We should fear lest this will be our last warning that we will ever be sent. We have too long offended our God, and he has borne with us long enough. He has borne our sins. We should tremble lest God forsake us the very next mortal sin. These serious considerations have caused many good souls to retire from the disorders and dangers of the world, to live in cloisters, to live in solitudes, to live in caverns and in deserts. The fruits of the sinner is a conscience gnawed with despair. The fruit of the sinner is a troubled heart. The fruit of the sinner is one who is overwhelmed with grief. The fruit is hell, hell deserved, heaven lost. These are the fruits of the sinner. The affair of eternity is above all the most neglected of all affairs. Mankind has time to think of everything but God and salvation.
if the priest advises someone to go to church more often, frequent the sacraments more frequently, to spend a quarter of an hour a day in meditation. Quite often, the priest will be responded to, I have a family to provide for. I have my business to attend. And yet, that person will not have time to save his soul. Neither our family nor our riches will deliver us from hell if we're condemned. And you show an understanding of that by being here. You've let, and so, so do the men and older boys who work at camp. They give up at least 10 days of their money-making. They give up 10 days of their families, the fathers do, to come and help and to do charitable works for others. You're giving up time now where you could be making money. You're giving up time where you could be with your family. Some of your, the other half of your family was here this last week. You passed in the night. We may flatter ourselves that we are able to reconcile God and the world, heaven and sin together. Salvation is not to be attained by a life of indulgence and a life of ease. I've thought that before long I will retire out here. I won't have all the pro-life responsibilities. I won't have the daily teaching responsibilities. I won't have all the sick hall responsibilities. I won't have all the travel responsibilities. And then I thought, how happy I'm going to be lounging out in a lounge chair with a bravery every day. And then I thought, in happiness is not brought by inactivity. God is all act. Happiness is brought by activity. Salvation is not attained by a life of indulgence. It is necessary to use violence and to make great efforts in order to obtain the crown of immortality. Violence on yourself, not on others. Don't take my words and pass it off to the press. Many Christians have flattered themselves with the idea of serving God and saving their souls hereafter, tomorrow. Who are, who are at this moment and will forever be in the flames of hell, because that was their attitude. They will serve God tomorrow. Great is the folly of men in attending to what will shortly terminate. It's all the things, even your jobs will shortly terminate. And thinking so little, little of that which will never end, that is, the life of your soul. You know, your soul has two lives. It was given life in baptism, and it is killed every time we commit a serious sin. That is the spiritual life of the soul. The physical life of the soul, once created, will last for eternity. It's a long time. Eternity. We must put our affairs in order. We must reflect that all is at stake. Remember that in a very short time, our bodies will be deposited in the earth and our souls will go to dwell in the house of eternity. How dreadful, then, will be our misfortune if we are condemned to an eternity of woe. We must reflect well on this, for then we, for then we can have no remedy. We have a soul, 
And if we lose it, we lose everything. If we gain the whole world, you know the quote from Scripture, and suffer the loss of our soul, what will it profit? What will be our profit? We can arrive at a pinnacle of power and glory. Of what revenge will that be to me in eternity? If you hoard up riches, if you get forward in the world, but if you in the end lose your soul, what will be your consolation? Where now are the dignities? Where now are the pleasures? Where now are the vanities of those who were once great in the world? Whose bodies, like every other body, is corrupting in the dust and into dust, and whose souls now are a prey to the flames of hell. Since then we have a soul, and only one, to save, if we lose it, it is lost forever. We ought to endeavor to save it. Salvation is the affair of our, the highest importance to us. Eternal happiness and eternal misery, they war with each other for possession of the soul. Acknowledge with shame and remorse that we have done so little for our salvation. It's only when an alcoholic acknowledges his drunkenness that he's able to begin to free himself from that malady. Please consider mortal sin, dear men. Our souls, as we mentioned in the very first paragraph, were created to love God. And those in mortal sin have rebelled against him and thereby have been guilty of the greatest ingratitude. We have treated God like an enemy and have despised his grace and his friendship. We, if we committed a mortal sin, we were aware of how much sin offends God and we still committed it. We have turned our backs on God. We have insulted him. We have in a manner raised our fist to strike him. In, I'm sure you're aware of it, that uh, of um, reserved sins. A reserved sin is one which a bishop of a diocese who has ordinary jurisdiction might tell his priest, don't absolve abortion. Don't absolve striking one's parents. Don't absolve this. Send them to me. A bishop has a right to do that in his diocese. Those are called reserved sins. Indeed, striking one's parents. Many times bishops reserve those sins to himself. Send the kid who struck his parents to me. It's considered a very grave mortal sin. The man who sins says to God, if not in word, at least in effect, be gone from me, I will not serve. We've heard those words before. I will not acknowledge thee for my God. The God whom I adore is this pleasure, is this interest, is this revenge. That is my God. Such has been the language of every heart every time that we prefer a creature to Almighty God. St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi could not conceive how a Christian could knowingly commit a mortal sin. How many mortal sins have we committed? 
let us detest them that we may be forgiven them and grieve sincerely for these insults and these offenses. If we would consider the gentle invitation of our Lord to us at each and every moment of temptation, we would refrain from sinning. He is the father of our souls. He gave his blood for us on Calvary to buy back our souls. In yielding to temptation, we respond to God, I don't value your friendship. We say what Lucifer said, I will not serve. Perhaps we've said this a thousand times. And yet we again and again receive the gentle invitation and encouragement. When sin reaches a certain number, they cause God, according to St. Alphonsus, the doctor of the church, we, they cause God to abandon the sinner. The Lord patiently expects that when the day of judgment shall come, he may punish the sinner in the fullness of his sins. If you are again tempted to return to your sins, say no more within yourself. I will commit this one, and then I will repent. Do not say that anymore. For what if the Lord should instantly strike you dead? Or what if he should forsake you forever? That has been the fate of thousands who have thus lost the grace of God. They flattered themselves with the hope of pardon. But death surprised them like a thief in the night. And hell enveloped them with its flames. We should tremble lest we experience the same faith. Those who abuse the goodness of God in order to offend him are undeserving of his mercy. After the multitude of crimes that he has pardoned us, we have too much reason to fear, or we have much reason to fear that if we relapse into mortal sin, he will pardon us no more. We should thank him a thousand times for having been born patiently with us until now. And we should form the resolution rather to die than to offend him anymore. We've already offended him enough. The remainder of my life shall be spent in loving him and in sorrow for my past ingratitude. That must be our attitude, our resolution. Let me speak on death, please. All life comes to an end. The sentence is already passed. You must die. Death is certain. But the moment is not certain. We know not when it will come, how many casualties and accidents is human life constantly exposed to. The bleeding of an artery, a stroke, the bite of a venomous animal, an earthquake, a virus, a bacteria, or any other cause we can neither foresee nor prevent may deprive us instantly of life. I feel good right now. 
But I wanted the nurse who has our defibrillator to have it out here for the men's retreat. Just in case. Death may surprise you when you least expect it. How many have gone to bed at night in apparent good health and in the morning have been found dead? The same may happen to you. Numberless others who have been visited by a sudden death never expected to die in that manner. And if they were then found in mortal sin, where are they now? What is their fate? And what will it be through all eternity? But at all events, it is certain that either the night will come when we will no more see the day, or the day will come when we will no longer see the night. Our Lord says, I come as a thief in the night when I am least expected. There is only one reason why our Lord gives us this important counsel, and it's to save our souls. Let us profit from this admonition. Let us always be prepared for death. The time of our departure is not the time to prepare for it. The world will soon be taken from us. God may give you years. He may give you months. He may give you days. He may only give you minutes. None know the time that has been ordained from eternity for your death. Consider that at the hour of your death, you will be extended on a bed, perhaps. Your relatives and friends will be weeping over you. Soon they'll be fighting for your inheritance. Your priest might be there to assist you. Candles may be lit by your side. Moments separating you from time and eternity. You may be oppressed with pain. You can't pray when you're in pain. Your eyes will become dim. Your tongue shall be parched with thirst. Blood will be cooling in your veins. And your heart will have a difficult time pumping it. You will see the world passing before you. When you die... A few hours later, being stripped of all the goods accumulated, you will be placed in the ground to rot. These are the words of St. Alphonsus. You will then become the food of worms, which will gnaw at and devour your flesh. Nothing will remain but a few bones and the dust to which you return. Open the grave of the richest man you've ever known, the richest woman. The human end is the same for all, but how different will be the state of their souls. Look with the eyes of faith, dear men, and you will see the soul of the sinner surrounded by devils and demons, claiming and clawing the soul of the reprobate. They will show all the sins even from a man's youth. Death will display before our eyes the enormity of sin, of our sins, and make us despair. Then we will discover in the light of God himself the evil 
which we have committed against God's infinite goodness. While time remains, let us make reparation for what is past. For at the hour of death is too late to make reparation for a lifetime of sin. Death is the, a moment upon which de eternity depends. The moment of expiring reveals to the departing two eternities, that of damnation and that of salvation. His fate rests upon the last moment of his life, a life of happiness or misery, a life of good or evil, a life of heaven or hell. If you are saved, you will be secure and enjoy the summit of happiness and content sharing in the life of the saints. For how long? As long as God is God. If you are condemned, you will suffer in the infernal abyss with your brethren, the tortured. For how long? As long as God is God. Death bed sorrow is usually regret without repentance and thus bears no real fruit of conversion. I think it was St. John Chrysostom who said scarcely one in a hundred thousand deathbed conversions are for real. We must understand from this that our conversion must begin now, immediately. Not even tonight, now. It is a grave mistake to delay conversion to the last moments because these sentiments, they're not inspired by love of God. They're inspired by fear of hell. Embrace God now if you wish to die in his embrace at the moment of death. 